Welcome to Two Brothers Review, the podcast. I'm Reed Turley. And I'm Ty Turley. And in case you didn't know, this podcast is bi-coastal. Yep. And this week we're going to be talking about Mission Impossible Fallout. What happened? <laughs> I just don't know why they would need to know it's bi-coastal. <laughs> they wouldn't. That's the joke. That is the joke. Uh, yep, from... Uh, the streets of New York to the streets of San Francisco. Here comes Two Brothers Review, talking about Mission Impossible Fallout. Mission Impossible 6. No, no number in the title, but it is the sixth movie, I guess. Mission Impossible Fallout, the sixth fran- movie in the franchise. <laughs> uh, but before we talk about that movie specifically, for our pick this week, we wanted to say our favorite Mission Impossible movies. Ty, how about you? Well, I am picking. I, I I do love Mission Impossible. I love action movies. Okay, but I'm not real good at remembering the details. So they do all kind of go together for me. But I will say Mission Impossible One for sure because I know I love that movie, and I also know that I I had a bass guitar at the time it came out, and I started playing the Mission Impossible theme on my bass guitar all the time because I loved it so much. And there's also that amazing scene where he hangs from the wire. And sprawls above the floor. And there's also the amazing... Isn't the gum uh, blowing up the aquarium in the first one? Yeah, red light, green light. Yeah, classic Mission Impossible. That's pretty good. Uh, For me, it's... Well, I might say the first Mission Impossible is the best of the movies. My favorite is Mission Impossible 3. I feel like sort of the menacing villain of Philip Seymour Hoffman is great. And I think they sort of transition in that movie to the style that they follow more consistently now in the, in the series. Uh, And I feel like even though they just set it up with a ridiculous MacGuffin, what they're searching for, I think the drama's good. And they introduce some of the other actors like Benji and uh, Michelle Monaghan. So I think Mission Impossible three is my favorite of the set. Nice. It's uh, It's got a good feel, you know, compared to the other franchises. It's just, uh, uh, it's, it's a little more clever, and it's a little bit more, I don't know, self-aware, maybe? And willing to laugh at itself? Yeah, and I think focusing on practical effects whenever possible makes it a little bit more exciting and interesting, rather than The Rock standing in front of a green screen. You're seeing Tom Cruise do some crazy stuff in these movies. Yeah. So, yeah, compared to, like, Fast and the Furious or even the Bourne movies, which I love, they don't have the same kind of humor and, and self-awareness. No, definitely. Well, let's talk specifically about Fallout. This movie came, you know, the series is getting more frequent each time they make a movie now. Were you ready for a Mission Impossible movie? Were you excited when you saw this was coming out? I don't know. How did you feel going into this? I wasn't super excited. Uh, well, I mean, it, it was just like, oh, yeah, I'll see that for sure. But, you know, yeah. But then I saw the reviews and had an incredibly high score on Rotten Tomatoes. And everyone said it was amazing. So, oh, oh, and then, I mean, I think I said it in this podcast, right? You did. Then I, yeah, I watched the featurette about him learning how to fly the helicopter. And then I was super excited. I really wanted to see that. Okay. And do you feel like the movie, in your mind, stood up to those reviews and the score that it's gotten? Yeah. I thought it was incredible. I thought 
I thought um, for a movie to have that much action packed into it and make sense too. I mean, I feel like there were no logical holes really. Um, I thought that's that is very very hard to do and great writing. So I felt like I was like at the edge of my seat the whole time. Yeah, I think even things that like in the moment I thought was a little weird. Like in his mission briefing, it talks about the outbreak in um, Kashmir. In Kashmir, and then later it circles back to that and like it uses that, and that's why his wife, the doctor, is there. I just feel like they sort of tie things together that way, and it it flowed well. I was impressed with that. I feel like, I mean, the friends that I watched it with came out of the theater saying that they felt like there's too much exposition in dialogue. But I feel like what they were doing was having a conflict and that leads to an action sequence. Then then there's a brief breather where they set up the next need for the next action thing. With a lot of dialogue, it was true, but not like, I don't think it was an absurd amount. Then they do the next action sequence, then they set up the next one with the dialogue. I mean, I just thought it was really super pacing and and uh, plotting. Yeah, I wouldn't have said it kind of slowed down too much, or there, I didn't have any problems with the conversations that were going on. I feel like they did try to jam in so much action, but it all felt different. I mean, I just feel like the scenes were pretty unique, so that it didn't. I didn't get overwhelmed or think this is just I'm just sitting through like a stunt sh- show. I think they used the action set pieces, you know, in interesting locations and with different people involved that kept it kind of interesting for me. Yeah. Uh, One thing I think uh, I really liked when they're in Paris and they're doing the extraction and, you know, there's this long car motorcycle chase. He gets away from the police and they you think, okay, that was the big action set piece and we're going to move on. And then they get to the garage, and there's a policewoman outside the garage. And, you know, it's like two minutes of non, I don't know, non-driving action, but then it picks right up again. I feel like it just gives you a little breather and then hits you with another action scene right away. And I, I thought that was so, I don't know, kind of interesting where it's not just this, you know, you're going to get three set pieces in a movie and then some conflict in between. I don't know. I just thought that was well designed by the director. Yeah, yeah, or uh, the writer, maybe. Or writer. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, there were parts where I did laugh out loud just at the kind of ridiculousness of, of the action or the the coincidental timing of everything, like uh, especially in the scene where they have 15 minutes till the bomb goes off, but it's like the most ridiculous 15 minutes ever. Uh, but I don't mind. I mean, I thought that was... If I could change it, I would have just made that timer be 30 minutes. <laughs> so it's just like, these things could actually happen. Or... Yeah. Small change. But just, you, I don't know. I think I think the laughing out loud is actually a good sign that the action builds up tension and then you laugh to release it. Like when he's on the cliff edge with um, uh, Willis or Wilson. Or, uh, Wilson, I think. Wilson, the guy who's hunting him down. Um, just, I mean, ridiculous that they keep getting saved in the nick of time. And then, yeah, everything works out, obviously. Yeah. How did you feel about the CIA character? I thought he was great. I thought he was super cool. Like, uh, like I love, uh, I love the scene where he's like, it's not personal. I love that Ethan Hunt helped him even though he hated him. 
I love that um, I didn't see coming that he was the double agent or the betrayer. I'm sure other people did, but but I love that. I as soon as as soon as Benji put on the mask to look like the main terrorist, and they were taking one and leaving the other one, I knew they were. Or in my mind, I was like, they're definitely switching, and they're taking. He's taking the one he doesn't think he is. Interesting. Because just because that's the thing that always happens in Mission Impossible movies with the masks, right? Yeah, it's like the wrong person. You th- yeah, you think you're taking the one guy, but really you're taking his double. So I I did know that, but but then when the when the CIA agent started confessing to that guy and getting angry at him, I was like, oh shoot, he is that guy. Well, it, yeah, I didn't understand when he gave the phone to Angela Bassett that didn't have the cracked screen, but the phone that Tom Cruise took from the guy in the bathroom did have a cracked screen. That's when I was like, oh, this guy's a little, little dirty. But then I didn't understand. I don't know. His motivation yeah, I- doesn't totally make sense to me when he's trying to get the plutonium. But then, then it seems like he's just doing whatever the main bad guy wants. Well, he wants to get the plutonium to that Kashmir Valley where he can um, destroy the water source for millions of a third of the world's population. Okay, so I, I couldn't tell that's where he wanted the bombs to blow up. I thought maybe he wanted them for something else. But if, if he wanted them to blow up there, then I think that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like that was their plan and he bought into it as the way to wreak the greatest havoc. Okay. I, I, or I never got any indication that he thought there's a better idea. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense then. Yeah. I mean, the friends I went with also were like, yeah, we knew as soon as he gave the cracked phone that he was working for the other side, but I just thought there was so much animosity between uh, the IMF and CIA. I didn't think he needed to be a double agent. I just thought he hated Ethan Hunt and wanted to get him off the case so that the CIA could do whatever they wanted. Yeah. It seems like Angela Bassett not trusting the IMF caused more problems than solutions, where getting Wilson involved obviously was a problem. But then the team that she sent to capture them all, once she found out Wilson was a double agent, also had double agents in it. Because Wilson had turned people. Yeah. Her, her character, I didn't like that much, I guess is what I would say. Well, I mean, uh, I guess it depends on what you're analyzing it from the perspective of reality or from the perspective of the story and the needs in the story. But yeah, I mean, it, for the story to work, y- you had to have it not work very well. I mean, that's the point. She introduces these things that are setbacks and, and barriers and obstacles for Ethan Hunt. Yeah. Well, and, you know, over the course of this movie, she does have a change in heart, right? At the end, she says, oh, I recognize we do need the IMF. But that's sort of what happened to Alec Baldwin two movies ago, or I don't know, the last movie. And they, <laughs> and they killed him off. Like, it's just like, did he, what, did he want too much money? Like, why couldn't he just keep doing that? Why did they need Angela Bassett? Well, I bet she's not, she'll be the CIA in the next film. She won't be IMF. Someone else, I would, I don't think, it, well, I'd be surprised if she moves from CIA to IMF. That's a weird thing to do, but maybe. Well, that's what Baldwin did. He said it. He moved from CIA to IMF? Okay, I missed that. He's like, some, some said it was a lateral move. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm sure he just didn't want to do another one. Or maybe they're opening up that space for Jeremy Renner to come back. Yeah, I don't know. He sort of got <laughs> cut out of this one. <laughs> yeah. He, well, not cut out. He didn't act in it at all. He just wasn't written into it. Well, he hasn't been in... Was he in the last one? It's been a couple ago that he was, right? I think he had a very small part in the last one. Oh, okay. And then it was bigger in four. 
Yeah, four, he was a major character. Do you feel like they were effective in sort of the relationship story that they told with Tom Cruise and the British spy versus his ex-wife? Um, I mean, it was fine. <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like uh, not much happened, right? Nothing developed in his relationships. It just kind of cemented where he was at, which is divorced from the first wife and interested in and in love with, but not doing anything with the second woman. But I would say this movie kind of gives him the freedom to move on from his ex-wife, right? He realizes now she's in a good spot. Yeah, that's true. I just but don't really it, think of him as a... Or I don't know. I don't know if I need a romance story in the middle of a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> yeah. I, well, th- I mean, there's always been that sort of uneasiness around worrying about the partner, right? Yeah. So I think I think that uneasiness needs to be there. I think the romance is kind of... It's not the strong suit of the franchise. <laughs> I, mean, I just feel like they never show real chemistry between him and her. Just longing looks before they shoot at each other. Oh, the second one. I was thinking of the first wife. Oh. I just feel no. like just like Ethan Hunt doesn't have a lot of chemistry with, with women. <laughs> I don't know. He's no James Bond. Yes, he's no James Bond. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um so this was the shortest distance between two Mission Impossible movies. Do you think if they start making them more frequently, they're going to lose, I don't know, some of their appeal? Like, maybe this is about Hollywood in general. I feel like you could probably sustain one every other year and be fine. I don't know. I mean, I was curious about the history of the of the reviews, so that's what I Googled when I got out of what how's it been going. And they're just getting progressively better reviewed and um i think i think that's a good sign i think that's different than other franchises too so i feel like if he keeps that team together it seems like a pretty uh like it's working pretty well um and i don't i i, th- I feel like it could go either way still it's it could be good it could it could be bad well and this was still three years after the last movie so there is more of a distance yeah i don't yeah i mean three years feels like a lot in in today's Hollywood, yeah, definitely. Uh, are there are there any other likes or dislikes from the movie you want to make sure we talk about? Mm, I just think they do a really good job with characters, and they have like Simon Pegg's character is very predictable. You know what he's gonna, you know what his thing is. Like he's anxious and <laughs> and nervous, and you know Ving Rhymes' character is gonna be sort of wistful about their relationship and uh, sort of give the kind of the history of the franchise. And um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's uh, I feel like they do a good job of of sticking to those character traits in moments of stress so that those things come out in a fun way. Yeah, I think a good example of that is when they're doing the chase in, in England and Benji's like, oh, shoot, I had the iPad upside down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's in 2D. <laughs> I get it. You're four stories up. Well, good luck <laughs> jumping out that window. It's just like this moment of comedy that I think does sort of help split it up and is used well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing is, 
um, when I was reading about the movie afterwards, um, he broke his ankle jumping, and he said uh, Tom Cruise said that he has a stunt man on 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 set who does the stunts first and then tells him, look, when you do it, it's going to hurt the most at this point. And the thing to be careful of at this point is this, like walks him through it before he does it, but then he does the stunts. Um, so I think that's also just very interesting along the lines of what we were talking about earlier of it being less CGI and more um, visceral. And I, the thing that I saw is that they actually used the footage of the time he broke his ankle. Yeah. That's like, well, we got it. <laughs> yeah. Shoot. But, if you're going to break your ankle, you might as well use it, right? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine how that would affect production? People's jobs? If Tom Cruise can't do anything? <laughs> well, could he not do anything? I didn't. It, the article didn't say anything about like uh, how long the production had to pause. I mean, they have insurance for that kind of stuff. And they have, you know, all these crews are working... Um, it's already kind of a, you know, you don't know what's coming the next day kind of a career. I think he couldn't shoot for six weeks. Oh, wow. But maybe they did more of like the dialogue stuff or got ahead on editing or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm I, sure that, I, I would guess they had insurance that paid for the extra cost of the delay. Yeah. That'd be a cool job insuring movie productions. <laughs> Yeah, get into that. Yeah, I just need millions of dollars. It's collateral. <laughs> Not if you get lucky. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm insuring you, but no accidents. <laughs> uh, let's let's keep this one clean. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, give our rankings for Mission Impossible Fallout. For me, I think this movie is a four. I liked the different action set pieces and I feel like it was an enjoyable movie. Um, but I don't know if it's so unique or differentiated from other action movies. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm giving this one a five in an unusual turn of events. (laughs) (laughs) Reed is given the lower score than me. Uh, I just think I thought it was the perfect action movie. So good. And a perfect action movie. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Well, all the things we discussed already. It was it was as jam packed with non non nonsensical. Wait, with sensical action. <laughs> <laughs> as right. as as I can remember a movie being. And, and I mean, yeah, it's not it's not gonna stay with me. That's probably true. I mean, it's not life changing. Uh. Except I might go back to it, actually, and watch it again if I'm ever trying to write an action movie. Okay. Cool. Well, let's finish up with a recommendation for something else you've been watching, reading, or listening to. Ty, do you have a recommendation for the listeners? Well, I've been watching a lot of International Champions Cup soccer matches, which is the preseason tour that the the big teams in Europe do when they go and play in the U.S. or they play in uh, Asia. Oh, and I yeah. just want to—I just want to recommend to people: don't watch these matches. They're horrible. This is helpful. I was thinking about going and seeing AC Milan play FC Barcelona on Saturday here. Oh, well, the the reason I say my recommendation is because it's just all their their players that never play in real matches. It's not the A team. 
it's not the A team. It's Barcelona played Tottenham uh, on Saturday night, and m- most of the game had players that weren't even in Barcelona's. Uh, I, I don't know how you say it that, compared to U.S. sports, but it's like it's like it was their their G League team instead of being even the players on the bench of their NBA team. Oh my gosh! Well, that's a little cheap, right? But I feel bad if you're. I mean, no, I'm I mean, out. <laughs> it's over. Me and also, soccer are done. No, Reed, I want you to love soccer so bad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right. And it's it does get better as time goes on because all the stars that played in the World Cup get automatic vacation time afterwards. But then it it runs out, and eventually they have to come back to their team. So. Um, each game, they should be getting more and more of their players back. Okay. Uh, cool. I'm going to recommend not really a pop culture thing, but just an activity. Remy and I have been doing a little bit more uh, cooking in preparation for a, a meal we're preparing for a big group of people. We've been practicing some things. And I would just recommend you try making homemade pasta. It's really <laughs> simple. It's just like... Three eggs, two cups of flour, you mix it together, uh, you can roll it out by hand, and then just you know cut it up and it boils up super fast, like less than a minute in boiling water, and it's ready to go. So we've tried, uh, we made some ravioli, and we made some uh, fettuccine recently, and I think today we're trying out macaroni, which did require an attachment for the KitchenAid to make the shape. But we'll do homemade macaroni and see how that turns out. You got the kitchen attachment? We've got it. Jeez. This is serious. So, I mean, you're going to be at this meal. Be ready. This is for our family reunion? It is. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Can you do a whole wheat pasta? Uh, You could if you were a gentrifying (laughs) hipster, but we won't. Oh, no. That was for the wrong podcast. (laughs) <laughs> it's okay our fans have listened to the other one already i'm sure that's fair from blind spotting um okay so cook cook something i think it's nice it's relaxing for us good advice all right thanks everybody for joining us this week talking mission impossible fallout on two brothers review the podcast i'm reed turley and i'm ty turley and i'm gonna go kill the bee in my house Bye. Bye.